0: So take your Bibles, and, uh, and I want to just really transition this, because we're, we're going to focus on Christian community a little bit over the next couple weeks. And uh, the, uh, uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42, and we'll get there here in a minute. But before we get there, I want you to consider with me, just for a moment, how many hours this week you spent personally on food and drinks? Did you go to the grocery store? Did you stop by QT on the way into work and grab something? Did you spend any time looking through recipes in a recipe book? Or if you're anything like me, if I see a recipe on TikTok I like, I typically stop there and go, I'm going to do that. I'm going to make that. Or did you spend time maybe making sure that your kids had lunch money or that you were. Uh, taking time to stop by or drive through Starbucks so you could get yourself a cup of coffee on the way. Uh, because the reality is, is that eating and drinking is just something that we do in life. It's just part of life, right? It's, it's certainly uh, central to Christianity. We're, we're taught to pray out of uh, the Lord's Prayer that uh, we would, um, on a daily basis, to have this daily bread. bread, right? The communion table is the central table of Christianity. It's, it comes around a meal where we celebrate the, the body and the blood of Jesus through elements. And, uh, and, and just by the, the, the sure fact that we're human beings, we're going to focus in on food. And by extension, we are inescapably consumers. We have to consume to live. Can we agree on that? Now here's the challenge. The challenge is that while we have to consume to live, our culture is constantly preaching to us. And it's easy to get caught up in our culture where we live to consume. There's an important transition there. I want you to get. We, we by natu- just by the pure nature, we live. We live. We live. So we have to consume, but we don't live to consume. We consume to live. You see, consumerism it's dri- it's driven by our own personal emptiness. There's this belief system that that is inside of us that is saying there's an empty part of my life, so I, I have this inner aching of a void that must be filled. And so consumerism is the idea that we can find fulfillment or happiness by buying or owning or accumulating or eating or drinking or experiencing more things. Emptiness drives consumerism. So think about it just for a moment from the standpoint of of water bottles. By the way, when I was growing up... uh, My parents didn't carry around a water bottle. You didn't open uh, the cabinet of the kitchen where I lived growing up and see one whole kitchen cabinet devoted to 15 million different water bottles. Now, you continue to tell him, like speaking from experience here now, that there's one where I open in our kitchen, and yet we have another water bottle. Somewhere along the line, someone thought it would be smart to say, you know, it's very important to live a healthy life. And to live a healthy life, you have to make sure that you consume your body weight in ounces of water. Which means by extension now, you have to go buy yourself a water bottle so you know how many ounces that you drink to make sure that you drink enough water to stay healthy. And if you go to the grocery store, you can find all sorts of kind of water. You've got, of course... Nestle's Pure Life, you've got Dasani, you've got Aquafina. you have Arrowhead, you have Ice Mountain, you have Ozarka, you have Core Hydration, you have Smart Water, and my favorite of all time, they are advertising just water. (laughs) Because advertisers have a pattern. And the advertisers understand that they identify or create and dramatize a need. And then they promise that their product will fulfill that specific need. And so they move the customer, you and I, toward purchasing such item to fill the created need. You see, advertising is very simply consumer evangelism. Every time you see a commercial, every time you you pull up... YouTube, or you pull up TikTok and the next ad comes, all this happening is consumer evangelism. And by translation, in this culture of consumerism, we spiritualize consumerism toward our own faith. And we approach our own faith much like we would approach choosing a movie or buying an automobile. I mean, church is just one more option about which we decide whether we are going to be a part of or not be a part of. A little bit like, should we spend an evening with friends or go to the gym? Because without even realizing it, we consume our Christianity. We buy books. And we buy from authors who tell us the stars are aligned for Jesus to come back. And then he doesn't come back and they write a different book. And yet we buy that one as well. We look for churches that meet our needs. None of this is bad. Because we understand that we have to consume to live. But when we have bought into a culture that believes that we live to consume. We run into a bit of a problem. We don't necessarily say these words. But we approach our our spirituality in the Lord's Prayer and, and we say, we don't say these words, but we think these words. They, they're the words that fill our hearts when we say, Our Father, which are who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. My kingdom come. My will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. For certainly you have been sold the bill of goods that the God of heaven wants you to be happy, wealthy, and blessed. In everything that you do and everything that you say. And so we live this consumer lifestyle that, that really believes in the religion of consumerism. Like happiness can be bought and sold. That everything and everyone has a price. And yet we also understand that the contrary, that Christianity says that fulfillment is a gift of grace. The things that matter the most in the kingdom are faith, hope, and love. That's at least what the scripture says will last. Because in God's view, people are the highest order of creation. Made in his own image. And are his. Intent, uh, intense affection and claim of ownership. So when Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead. And and the, the spirit was pulled, poured out on the church. They looked around and said. We need to hang out together. We need to form a community that is. In the world but not of the world. We need to have a community that that can encourage and strengthen and help one another move forward in their Christian faith. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German theologian, said, a loving Christian community is simply the signature of God. And whether you realize it or not, we are all part of God's name. And I want you to think of yourself as just a letter, or maybe even a part of a letter. And that by ourselves, we cannot fully say the name, be the name of God. It requires Christian community for us to fully become a true and right reflection of who the great God of heaven actually is. Psalm 133 says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together In unity. I say all this because I want you to get this this morning that when it comes to community, no one really drifts into community. No one just wakes up one day and goes, wow, man, I'm in the greatest community that I've ever experienced in my life. I experienced God's love through the people around me. I'm able to love the people around me. That just doesn't happen. It no more happens than evolution happens. Community is a choice that we make. Why does it have to be a choice? Because at the very core, sin separates. I want you to get this. Sin separates and sin keeps us separated. But Jesus Christ unifies. Jesus Christ took that which was disconnected in the world and brought it together in his body, in his life in his being. And so the choice that we make when we when we make a choice to follow Jesus certainly when we stand before the almighty God my salvation my my my, my life in eternity with God is a is a singular thing it's me and Jesus with with God. I say it's a singular thing because it's not me it's Jesus. But beyond that, everything that is Christian, that is reflected, the, the rewards in heaven, the, the, the things that I will enjoy throughout all of eternity are not about me as an individual. It's about God's signature called community. It's how we lived and operated and acted in faith, hope, and love with other believers, with other people that are in our life. And so for, for a few moments today, you can already tell that I'm, I'm talking about two totally opposite things that we need to compare, we need to contrast. We, I think there's a place that the Lord wants us to grow in it, but we're, we're really comparing this, this idea of consumerism versus community, because central to community is a world, word called we, but central to consumerism is a word called me. And when you begin to compare and contrast our lives with we versus me. The Holy Spirit then can begin to help us to understand. How we've been drawn into this culture of, of consumerism. That drives our behavior. That drives our belief system. That, that really keeps us isolated. And keeps us from moving into the full dynamic of spirituality. That the great God of heaven wants us to move in. And so in. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 says this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many signs, wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, you might be sitting here going, well, Pastor, come on now. We're already in life groups, and I'm in a life group, and we're doing good. And and why is it you have to bring this? Because here, I want you to get this. There's a couple of different ways that we can approach this kind of a sermon. If you're not part of a life group, if you're not part of a a community of, of believers that you're authentic with and you're transparent with, that is, that is holding you accountable and helping you advance in your spirituality, you need to be. And if you are, it still doesn't mean that you still don't predominantly have the me versus the we. Because you go, you can go to the group and think, well, this is what I'm gonna get for me. And we miss the importance of the we. There's this receiving that we all we all get every Sunday, and we respond to it. But then we got to recycle it, and that's the great thing about life groups: we can recycle the things the Lord is doing and giving us in our life to those that are around us. So, how do we grow in this? Well, we start by growing when we really choose discipleship over complacency, discipleship over complacency. Now, I have really been challenged uh, since. Uh, you know, of this last year and a half of finding this new good exercise routine. So I went and joined a gym. Six months ago, I I joined a gym, and and I look at the mirror, and I see no progress. So tomorrow, I'm going to go down there and find out what's really going on. (laughs) Now listen, some of you, that's how you approach your spirituality. I gave my life to Jesus. I better go down there and find out what's really going on, because I don't notice any kinds of change. But you'll notice in that scripture, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles, uh, to the apostles teaching. The apostles only received from the Lord that which they then recycled to the people. Now, you got to understand those when we hear those words, you may think, well, I am already done with school. That word teaching is not about you going to another class. Because if you think of whatever profession you're in, if you are a teacher or you are a mechanic, uh, you may have learned things in school, but you did not become that particular person until you put it into what? Practice. You learned more doing than you ever did in the classroom. You got ideas in the classroom. In fact, the more education that I've received, you know, those professors, they live in a lofty world that just doesn't exist. Have you found this to be true? They're like, oh, this can happen, this can happen. Yeah, in your own fantasy world, have you actually ever tried to do that stuff? Because we understand there's this gap between this educational learning and the actual practical walking out the way things are supposed to be done. And so what, what's happening here is the the, the the apostles have really are teaching the next level of disciples how to live their Christianity every day. I mean, as a pastor, these are the kind of questions I get. Well, can I drink as a Christian? Well, gee, that's the right question to ask. I mean, after all, Jesus turned water into wine, right? And it wasn't, well, just grape juice, people. But before you wonder if you should drink alcohol, maybe we should be asking, how's the miracle business going? That's, see how quickly it gets quiet? Because, because, we, because we're not challenged to live the life of the teacher. Who's the teacher? The teacher's Jesus. A disciple learns and does what the teacher does. And so, I think it's fair to ask, how's the miracle business? I'm not lost in my notes. I just, dramatic pause. Pause. If you're, around, if you're around me much, you know that the question that often comes up in my conversations with people is, all right, what's God saying and what's God doing? If, listen, the world can't answer that. The church better be able to answer that. And that's what a disciple does. A disciple recognizes that there's two dynamics to the life of Jesus. There's the the character of Jesus. And there's the ministry of Jesus. And Jesus wasn't in the church building business. He's in the people business. And so when we we think about discipleship over complacency. We're saying that, that what's more important is that we grow together. But consumerism—the me part of that—demands that I am spiritually fit, and that my spiritual, my spiritual well-being is at the hands of others. I know none of you have never said this. You have the responsibility to meet my spiritual needs. That's consumerism at the, fin- at, the at its finest. But discipleship says I'm going to find someone that I can follow, that I can look at their life and I can see a dynamic of Jesus that I want. And I'm going to follow them around and I'm going to learn from them and I'm going to implement what I've learned from them in my life and in certain areas. But one of the great challenges and and I was kind of comparing and contrasting in my own ministry experience between Arizona and Texas and uh, and listen, community is difficult in, in any area you live because again, sin separates and it isolates, but jesus he 's the one that he connects people to the body of Christ. But Texans are really I found to be really funny when it comes to this. they really choose isola, uh, isolation over, uh, over community, and that 's the second thing we 've really got to do is we 've got to do community over isolation now here 's the, here's the funny thing that it just struck me so weird about some texans how present company excluded of course. okay right. yes some of you just don't believe me uh, <laughs> the fact is 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 texans are the sweetest nicest people they are that deep yeah. they'll bless you they'll love you at a distance but don't ask to get under the, the, the layer of my skin and what's going on in my life. We don't do that around here. We just, because we, we know you'll walk away and just say, oh, bless their heart. <laughs> and of course, we live in a world where social media comes along and says, hey, we can help you with that isolation. You could just, you can just post everything that's good in your life for the world to see. And of course, that is absolutely what community is all about. That was... Tongue in cheek. And so you find that the scripture says. And all who believe were together. They were together. There was a a togetherness that that existed. That means that they were. Now why don't you get this. They were together when they were depressed. It means that they were together. Even if they are used to toxic relationships. They They were together even though they didn't always feel safe. They were together when they even had a mentality or a mindset that says, I can do it on my own. Because they understood at the very core of creation, God looked and said, it's not good that man should be alone. And in the the community, in the we part, in the we part, when we're together, we share in responsibility because we understand there's a belief system that says that, that that is not about me. There's something greater at work here. There's a preciousness that God sees in me and those that are around. Where consumerism, it demands entitlement. It says because it's about me, this is what I better get. I think that in our age and certainly after post-COVID, There's this growth that we really need ministry over selfishness. I like the fact that it says, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to the pastor so he could have a better car and his own jet. And... I mean... I mean, God wants the pastor to be healthy, wealthy, and blessed. I want you to look beyond the words with me, though. I I want you to see what's going on here. There was an overall mentality, an overall mindset of ministry. Of saying that what I have is not as important as the collective. Now, some have taken this and made this an argument of socialism over capitalism. I don't believe that. I, I don't believe that, that. First of all I mess with some of your theology. Jesus didn't come to change the world. Jesus came to change the worldly. He'll come back and change the world. So as you're worried about the forms of government, as you're worried about the, the, the nations that rage and, and go after each other in war. Let me tell you something. Jesus is coming back and he's going to take care of all that. But what he's called us to do is to join him in this, in this ongoing challenge of changing the worldly. So what is ministry? People's ministry. Now, you know, the, the, the larger churches get, the more different things have to be done on Sunday morning. From worship to sound to nursery and, and all that stuff's important and needed. But ministry is people. And when we understand that ministry as people, then I'm challenged with the me versus the we. So it's, uh, for whatever reason, I just was up late this week. Every every night this week, I was up 11 o'clock. And I I don't know if the Lord was preparing me for uh, the great storm that we had on Wednesday night. But 11 o'clock in the middle of the storm, I get a text that my... Niece is flying from Wichita to San Antonio and is stuck in DFW for the night. I had a decision to make. Okay, my be- my my nice watch here tells me it's 9:15. Rich, get ready for bed. And 11 o'clock, I get a text. So I had a choice. Do I do I put the needs that she has over the needs that I think I have? Because listen. I got the spiritual gift to sleep when I'm ready to go to sleep I go to sleep. So at 11:30 I'm going through the st- going up to the DFW to get her to bring her to a place to sleep so I could get back on the road at 6:15 in the morning to take her back to the airport. Because she's far more important than anything that my flesh is convincing me at the moment. Ministry is never convenient. When you understand that, that community being the signature of God, and you say, okay, that, that part of that is, is me just choosing to be, to be ministry-minded rather than to just be selfish in myself, then all of a sudden I'm saying, wait a minute, it requires me, the we requires me to be missional. Where my flesh, it just demands that I be safe, taken care of, making sure that I have the proper amount of water drank drink every day. But I think the, the last thing is that simply we've got to really grow to a place where people really are over possessions. Again, they were, they were selling it. They were, they were selling everything as they could because they recognized the needs that were all around them. One of the things that has saddened me over the years in pastoring is to see children sacrificed on the altar of some man or woman's career. They're so busy trying to advance themselves, they forget they're part of a family. But it's here that we recognize that we grow into valuing what God values. And people are the highest order of creation made in his own image. And his intense affection and claim of ownership is found right in every human being. Now that's not easy. I need God's grace to come and help me. It's it's easier to do it with my niece than it is some random person. It's easier to do with my niece than it is other people in, in our life group. but when i when I make the decision, and why is it people over positions because I want you to I want you to compliment and think about, and we 're going to kind of as we get to the go piece, just really briefly look at this is that how often do we say we can 't do something for the we because of what we 've set up for the me, the amount of work, the amount of drive, the amount of stuff that we 're doing for ourselves at literally the the expense of the we. Now, here's what Bethel is really great at. And By the way, I, I, last year was yet just another. November, if you're, if you're newer, newer with us in the last year, November, we take the whole month and we focus on one day to feed the world. Okay, and, and the one day to feed the world has everything today of, of, of working one day, one day. Get up in the morning, go to work, come home with that day in mind where I'm gonna take everything that I made in that day to feed, to, to help women get, a, get into business in impoverished places around the world, to teach people how to do agriculture, and all this. And we give to that, and we give generously. And that's the kind of thing that, that when, we, when we put people over possessions, we're willing to say no to things so that we can really not just give a hand out, but what I like about Convoy of Hope, it is a hand up. There's a reaching down and a lifting up and, and helping people. Because community, the we part of it, has everything to do with a, I want you to get this, a shared freedom. Not an individual freedom, but a shared freedom. But consumerism is, is quite the opposite. When it's me, what ultimately ends up is some form of addiction. I've got to have. I've got to, you know, I, when it comes to buying things, I'm really obsessive. So if you've been to my house, you know I have a really big TV. Okay? But you don't know the story behind the TV. The, the, so, our, I, in Clarissa and I's 33 years of marriage, this is the third TV we've ever owned. And so, four years ago, I, I went, you know, I think it's time to buy a new TV. And part of that has to do with getting older and eyesight. I get tired of having to move closer to the TV. So just get a bigger TV, you can stay back. That's, some of that's Vamproian reasoning, which <laughs> doesn't always mean logic. But, but so, so, I went, okay. And so I told Clarissa, it's Christmas, I'm going to buy a TV. Okay, buy a TV. And so, I, and so I got on and I just started looking at TVs. Look, 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 look. And, I, and, then, and then Christmas came and went and I didn't buy a TV. And, and then the next year, I did the exact same thing. And then the third year, I actually got a TV in my Amazon cart. And then I deleted it. Because ultimately, when I'm evaluating things... I'm evaluating, is this going to keep me from ultimately what God wants me to do? And is there something better I can do than buy a TV? And eventually I bought the TV. I just used my credit card points. Because because God gives givers gifts to give. When we put people over possessions, he's like, just open up the hands before me. Don't do this. Don't shove it in your pocket. Give it away. Give it away. Give it away. Because what happens is it keeps you from being addicted to stuff and loving people. So, so what do we go with this? All right. Let me give you three things really quickly. i going to kind of finish. If the worship team wants to come, that'd be great. Uh, but I, I think the big step for us this week, the first thing that I, I really believe the Lord wants you to do, if, you, if you'll let it, if you, if you want to try to get out of the, the, the religion of consumerism into this idea of community, the very first thing you got to do is you got to evaluate. And what do I mean by that? That means you sit in your time with the Lord and you say, Lord, where, where am I living where it's all about me? And allow the Lord to begin to tell you. You don't, you don't need the preacher to tell you, God's much better at it than I am. And he'll begin to show you these areas of our life where it's all about me. And I, I, listen, I don't really like evaluating these things. I know my flesh definitely doesn't like evaluating these things. Because there are plenty of things that, that I like right at the center of my life. But I think, I, I think there's, a, there's another context with this. I think, Lord, am I really trying to be a disciple or am I just trying to be good enough to get to heaven? I think we need to sit before the Lord and ask him that question. Because he doesn't want us just to just to have some form of ticket to punch to heaven. He wants us to grow into the, to the life of Jesus Christ that we are called to. And even if you're in community, it's good to sit before the Lord and saying, Lord, is this community about me or is it about we? Challenge me there, Lord. I I I measure discipleship and maturity in Christianity as people following you. Who are you praying for? Who are you encouraging? Who are you lifting up at work? Who Who are you helping that is in the faith but weaker in the faith? Who is who are you helping that's not a part of the faith? How are you praying for them? How are you encouraging them? Because it's 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 not a life of just me getting through day to day. God has providentially put me in the middle of all sorts of people that we call our circle of influence. And what I I liked about that scripture is they devoted themselves to to the, the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. And then the next one was prayer. Who are they praying for? I bet you they were praying for their circle of influence. They're praying for people that are around them that while they maybe have had an opportunity to share their faith or there there are other people that are antagonistic toward the faith, but they're praying for them and they're saying, God, draw them to you and, and then give me a heart that recognizes what you want me to do. And I think it's always good to evaluate, Lord, how am I expressing and how am I living out that value of people over possessions? And then as you do that, then here's the next thing is now we've got to engage it. Now we've got to say, okay, Lord, now that you've said this, what's that next step? Well, I spelled that out in the growth. Let's just allow the discipleship to get over complacency. It's community over isolation. It's, it's ministry over, over other things. Whatever, whatever it is. And then it's taking that step, saying, Lord, I am ready and I'm willing. But here's, here's the other beautiful thing. As we mature in the Lord, and as we are growing into a people that says, hey, I want others to grow in this. I want others to be connected to the body of Christ. I want them to be part It's not just a matter of the next step for you, but how can you help people around you take the next step? How can you help them engage in this this life of really being the signature of God? And finally, you start encouraging. You evaluate and you engage other people. And then, through that, you begin to encourage them. You sit down with them. You you, you choose to... I I wouldn't go as far as... This is a big step for some. I, I wouldn't say ignore the Cowboys game and take somebody out to the lunch. I wouldn't say do that because you could work your schedule where you could watch the Cowboys game and take them out to dinner and cry over dinner (laughs) or whatever that might be. Maybe you rejoice. I don't know. It's the 49ers today. We'll see. But the fact of the matter is, as we, as, we, as we mature in the things of the Lord, as we mature in our life groups, it's not a matter of us just hunkering down or living a bunker mentality until Jesus comes back. But now we're, we're looking outward, we're encouraging, we're connecting, and we're bringing other people along so that they can get out of the religion of consumerism and get into community where they truly can experience something that is real. And so, Jesus, help us. Help us, Lord, to spend our time with you this week. Help us to to engage uh, in the areas that you desire for us to engage in. And help us to be a people that that fulfill and continue to write. uh, Your signature is person after person. Come into a living, loving, and learning relationship with you, Jesus. And we just give you thanks for reminding and helping us in it. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Well, let's stand together. Let's sing one more song and we'll close in prayer. Hey, thank you again for joining us. We hope that our time together has been a blessing to you. And it doesn't have to end there. If you want to find last week's sermon, you can go to Facebook, YouTube, or you can listen to us on the audio podcast. You can let us know if you'd like to be further connected in a life group. But let me go ahead and pray as we close and say, God, thank you for being with us, Lord God. Thank you for helping us to carry your words, Lord God, and change our lives, Lord. Help us to carry your love to those around us. And we thank you for what you are doing. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and thank you for being a part. We hope to see you soon.